we want people that are, have big kind of big plans, you know, like the next Nicholas Zenstrom who wants to build a Skype who, you know, came from Uppsala and Klarna's founders, you know, similar. So we have a lot of these historic cases of founders like that actually produce like not just big companies, but phenomenally big, you know, mm unicorns um, in European global standards. But one of the problems Uppsala has is we lose some of that talent. So that's probably an objective for us too, is to provide a hub that's fun, creative, um, you know, feels like a place that entrepreneurs want to come and, and spend their time. Jason, welcome to the inaugural podcast. So you've now reached the pinnacle of your career. <laughs> it's all downhill. Yeah, <laughs> This is it. Enjoy it. Enjoy the 30 minutes. <laughs> We're here. Well, I'm here today because of Base 10. Um, something you've created over the last few years. Uh, super interesting. I thought that's like the best place to start, right? Yeah. Where, how, how that came about. And- sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Oh. And uh, yes, I mean, the, the, the history of Base 10 really was I'm a, I'm a tech entrepreneur by background. So, uh, sort of arrived in Sweden 10 years ago and kind of had an itch I wanted to scratch myself. I landed in Uppsala, which is the fourth biggest city here in Sweden. Um, so, you know, there wasn't really a huge amount of things that were run by entrepreneurs actually in the city. Uh, the history of the city has been a very strong academic city. So the universities played a big part in, the, in producing a lot of the talent. Um, but I felt like there wasn't, wasn't really this kind of, uh, you know, vibe from the privately, uh, private sector from entrepreneurs themselves building things like co-working hubs and events. And so it was really kind of something I, I was running a startup at the time. I just felt like it, originally it came through actually a conference that I started an event and, uh, that grew, became more and more successful. And then there was a need for physical space. So that was kind of the original, I was the original customer, if you like, of base 10. So I just hypothesized that maybe there's some other people like, like me out there that need this. Mm. And then you've got some money together. We're able to, what was the process then? Like, was it the money first or finding the space or how did it come? Yeah, it was sort of a bit of both. It was, we did a pilot of base 10. So the co-working hub itself, uh, it's about four or five years old now. Um, we've been here in this building for about a year, which is a much newer brand new building. Um, so we ran like a pilot for a few years and we got some funding from the city. Uh, so like public sector financing and uh, they put an up handling out, which in, in English is a procurement. Uh, so we basically bid and, and won this procurement and then we were able to use that funding to then build this for, it was like a five year project. So, okay. Yeah. And how, how far far in are we we're now? About, uh, about a year into it now. Okay. Yeah. So oh, maybe a couple of years actually. Yeah. yeah. And then with the, the goal, like you've obviously got some, things you want to achieve with it right and like so from conception you know through to where we are now through to what you want to do in the future like what are some of the 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 things that you wanted to yeah yeah i mean there's there's a few guys i think are quite high up there is you know essentially to to kind of encourage other entrepreneurs to come and start the companies um to, to help and support them to grow. You know, we're, we're a startup hub, so we're very focused on, you know, the type of people that are coming in. Uh, we're not just kind of renting to anybody. It's more specifically focused around startups. Uh, so we want people that are, have big kind of big plans, you know, like the next Nicholas Zenstrom who wants to build a Skype who, you know, came from Uppsala and Klarna's founders, you know, similar. So we have a lot of these historic cases of founders like that actually produce like not just big companies, but phenomenally big, you know, mm. 
unicorns um, in European global standards. But one of the problems Uppsala has is we lose some of that talent. So that's probably an objective for us too, is to provide a hub that's fun, creative, um, you know, feels like a place that entrepreneurs want to come and, and spend their time. And by doing that, it's sort of secret kind of objective is keeping them maybe slightly longer in Uppsala to grow their company slightly longer. So there's, yeah, there's a few objectives there. Um, but yeah, those mm. are probably some big ones. Yeah, and that, that kind of ecosystem concept is really, really important, right? And I mean, right. what what are some of the things you do around fostering that? So I think that that's one bit. And then also like, obviously, you know, what I do and what I talk about is a lot about the buildings. And so I'd be interested again to see how, the technology or the building fits into fits into your your goals yeah. yeah absolutely i think the building in itself i mean that that was a very strategic decision to be here in uvelan which is in english the jewel i mean it's basically the crown jewel of the Uppsala landscape right now it's one of the newest buildings in mm. town um you know it's pretty pretty premium building i would say architecturally amazing um so we you don't often find a lot of hubs in those spaces in startup there's kind of different flavors was we decided that Uppsala, you know it needs to kind of put itself out there as a brand to say like you know first of all this is something impressive when people come and visit uh, but also for the companies because I mean, if you're attracting talent um you know why would a why would a talented person come to Uppsala and work here instead of say stockholm or other cities um, or actually in sweden generally so i think having the impressive nature of the building and the architecture has helped especially when companies are growing because one of the wow factors is, is actually coming and working here at base 10 so they can use that as part of their recruitment angle mm-hmm. um so that's been worth it for us of course to do that it's more cost and and so you have to find that cost so hence why we're public sector funded um you know one of the reasons you know is that it's very difficult to do that if you're kind of going for the let's have you know cheap affordable rent to start up so they can start and be in the best building in town the two don't really often go hand in hand so we we, we wanted to do both so therefore we had to speak to the city and, and, and look at public sector financing um so yeah that's uh, that's one of the ways i'd say it's been been helpful in terms of the building itself yeah yeah right and then with this like ecosystem, I mean, you mentioned the the event you used to do, well, you still do, right? I guess that's an important part of what you're trying to create here. So the the event, the event, yeah, yeah, it's upstart. Yeah. Oh yeah. right, yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's like about as well putting, uh, you know, the, the 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 money with the company or just letting the company be able to tell their story and whatever it is. But I mean, I get. And as you said, like this is the kind of extension of that, just yeah. more on a permanent thing. Like the yeah, the exactly. event just goes on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Upstart was sort of a good way to spike attention in a very short space of time. Like how I looked at it, it was I actually kind of wanted to do both from the start. It was co-working hub and a conference was kind of both on my kind of radar. But the event made sense because that brings the community together. Um, you can create a lot of buzz and get a lot of it's it, but essentially after the event it's, it's over at least my event was yearly and now it's yearly so it's sort of like really cool and then after that what happens then you know so that was a natural progression into a space and actually based and has its own event space so we started doing more like smaller but more regular events um and we have um, like partners in-house that was another strategic move to get a couple of partners that run their own events and help startups themselves so we have uh, Dadeev Husit is one of them they're like a national uh, organization that helps council startups and uh Connect Uppsala is another one that, that helps actually to, to startups to find investors. So they sit upstairs and, and actually, you know, essentially tenants or members of ours. Um, so that that helps a lot too because they have their own initiatives. Um, so yeah, we Upstart I see is more kind of a big noisy thing. It's sort of a one-off every year, and then Base Ten is kind of the slow grind all year through. And what, what do the startups say to you 
when they give you feedback? Like, what is it that they appreciate most from from this? Yeah, probably the the community and the opportunities from that community. I mean, it's being around other like-minded entrepreneurs and people in the ecosystem. It's probably the number one thing. Um, you know, it's essentially being kind of one door away or one sort of bench away or seat away from someone who's going through the same problems as you. Um, and that's been, a, we've seen so many cases now of startups hiring people from within the center. Um, so it is that kind of community ecosystem, you know, investors, you kind of get in contact with, we're all doing the same thing essentially. So that's probably the biggest thing. And that's played quite a big um, impact on the way we've designed the space as well. I mean, like for example, the coffee machine is on the second floor. We have three floors here. Um, we don't put a coffee machine on the third floor or, or really the first floor um, for, for that reason that it's like a magnet. It pulls people into one place. So we had to think about, we actually originally wanted a, a one floor setup and we ended up with three. So we had to kind of design ways to pull people a bit like a shop would, you know, if you're going through the section with your, you know, kids and you see all the sweets and it's like, you do it kind of without thinking. Um, so actually, even though quite a few of the tenants might say to us, Oh, we really want a coffee machine on the third floor. We'll probably never do it because we know that the, the pro outweighs the con there and that people will actually get in the lift and come down and they bump into people and it creates these conversations. So, so there's a lot of thought into the psychology of space. That's, I think co-working centers, you know, should put a lot of energy into it. It's quite, it's a really big part of what makes a community, I think, physically. So, And are you making those kind of decisions based on your gut feeling or is the data around that? Like, how are you? It's a good question. I mean, there probably should be more data. Um, like, like all things, um, it's generally quite difficult and costly to get that kind of data. I mean, it's a little bit of, little bit of both gut feeling plus anecdotal, perhaps from the feedback we get from members. Um, mm. luckily we had a test sort of pilot. So our old building was a demolition project. So we had that for a few years. We we're able to test a bunch of stuff and see, you know, what works and what doesn't. And, you know, you hear quite quickly cause you get complaints if something's not working and, people say this is great you know so so we've been able to kind of use that as a pilot and then take all the good things to this new space and get rid of all the bad things that didn't work as well so so that's the kind of collaboration piece as well i mean anything else they tell you i mean in terms of the amenities as well there's things that they're like this is absolutely what we want yeah absolutely and things that are like well yeah okay we can that's great, but we can live without it. Yeah, I mean, we, we're quite good in that sense. We've been quite organised from the start because we have this thing we call the Base Tent Improvements Board. So basically, you fill in a form, essentially, um, and whenever someone comes to me or p- sends me a Slack message or an email, generally they get pushed through that channel, and it's like, and then it basically creates a ticket in a Trello board. So uh, we have that it's public, so all of Base Ten can see that. Um, so whenever we we kind of make a thing of making the things that aren't good as well like more public, so we don't want to kind of hide and say, look, there's nothing wrong with Base Ten course there's going to be tons we're still learning ourselves so so we kind of make that public and then we get votes and things other people come in and put their input on sometimes you get conflicting like someone will say hey we want to have privacy vinyls on the windows because it feels like we need more privacy and it's a very glass building was another would say actually i kind of like that it gets me an idea of kind of movement and i feel a bit less isolated and so it's good to gather enough feedback before we kind of hop onto a decision but if it's obviously a, a thing we can do and the cost makes sense and stuff then we'll generally action it so yeah there's a whole right now i think we've got maybe 20 30 you know tasks in that board going through right now everything from we want better food at lunchtime so we've just implemented a new vending machine there uh, sort of trust shop and then right through to the, the printer to you know bigger things as well so yeah that's really interesting 
about the openness. I haven't seen that with any other co-working spaces. Yeah. Like you said, like no one expects anything to be perfect, do they? And like, yeah. But at least you can think, well, like we're iterating here, right? As you would in a, any business. Like exactly. What, what is, you know, what's working, what isn't. And at least seen some progress there, yeah. Yeah, it's like the kind of public product roadmap. I suppose that comes from my tech, you know, mm, days yeah, because you see that a lot in like San Franciscan startups. It's very common. Like even Trello, I believe, sort of pioneered this in their own Trello, you know, project management system. They had a public board. And I always used to think that's kind of cool because you see actually where it's going. Often you write to support and that's it. And you don't hear back for months. And was you see there's a ticket and you see where it is in the queue and you see the comments on it and other people commenting. So it makes it feel a bit more like, okay, that someone's actually handling this, um, you know, was the more legacy landlords and stuff they'll have these more old-fashioned ticket systems and they'll just go into the ether and if you're lucky you'll hear back you know otherwise you have to keep hassling them so yeah we all it's, know um, what that's like. yeah it's it's not a good experience you know as we want to say and we're quite open that look, we're limited on resources we, we tell that often to the startups so they also have to kind of respect that too so by having like visibility on it it's not just us saying it you can actually see okay there's 50 things on this list that are just way more high priority than maybe sort of like getting a second stapler upstairs or so it's a good way for us also to kind of manage and be be honest, I suppose. Honesty is the best policy, really. So, yeah. Ping pong table. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, ping pong is really good. We actually even a step further. We have a Slack channel, um, hashtag ping pong. So you can basically post in the channel if you're in the building and you want to have a sort of date with a ping pong person, you can go down and play ping pong. Okay. So that's, you know, another really good kind of magnet like, uh, you know, facility that really pulls people together. Um, we even thought we at one point had some uh, tech involved. So it was like a camera that was taking motion shots. Of if, if someone was playing ping pong, it would post in a Slack channel. So people would then see, oh, there's someone playing ping pong and someone else would then go down and say oh can we hang out and play ping pong and so it was a bit less because to actually ask the question would someone like to play ping pong with me it's a bit especially in sweden it's quite a difficult mm. question to throw out um because it's kind of like saying hey i've got no friends will someone be my friend but if you see a picture of people playing you can head down there and so actually these kind of subtle social cues i think are really yeah. important in a co-working space to create serendipitous moments i suppose yeah. to create contacts rather than forcing it um yeah. which especially in sweden i found is quite tough um, yeah yeah i think that's interesting what you were saying like you you personally like you're the driver behind this right and it's 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 clear as well like i know how much you love technology but and you were talking about that so get the sense like you're prepared to try things anyway right you, you especially with with tech i mean you were saying earlier about um i mean r robots mm. right and okay that that's kind of you know, people have an idea or perception of how useful that is. But actually, some of the things you were talking about, I thought, were genuinely yeah. interesting. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like we had we had a robot at the the old base ten. We had a little bit for here, and we were thinking of getting some more. They were like they're basically big telepresence robots, so you can essentially use an app, and it's kind of like a Skype call on wheels. You could explain it as it's not that complicated technology actually, but it, you can move this robot via an app yourself from anywhere in the world. So is that thing with it's like a big stick, and then you to the two wheels. I think they That's have it. one on um, that sitcom in America. Right? Yeah, I think they did. Modern uh, Family. Was, 
Yeah, I think it's, there's a few. Yeah, exactly. I think maybe it was the same company. The other was called a Beam. There's one called Double Double Robotics okay. as well. Um, yeah, the price has come down a lot in this. For a few couple of thousand dollars, you can buy one of these things now. It used to be kind of reserved for you know the the elite, you know, maybe twenty, thirty plus thousand dollars, oh, okay. but Expensive they're a lot toy. cheaper. Yeah, they're kind of like iPads on wheels now. So, um, so actually, when we got it, we thought oh, this will be more of a PR stunt actually mm. because we 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 had a lot of tech companies. We have a lot of tech companies at Base Ten. We're not just for tech anymore. We used to be, and, and our audience is very tech. So, um, so yeah, we thought that, but actually it turned out pretty practical. Like well, I could log in and, and actually kind of intercept the, the coffee maintenance guy coming in and uh, say <laughs> hello. And, his face. Yeah, it was <laughs> incredible. But the funny thing was because it was so, it was so, um, it's something about the size of the point because it looks the size of a human and because it moves itself, it, instantly people just get used to it. It's an initial shock of, oh, this is a robot talking to me. This is weird but then you start talking and you just kick into normal human mode because you're like someone's talking to you so you're like answer and then it's so it actually felt unlike say handing someone an app or an ipad it's very unintuitive people kind of know how to talk to it because it's just like a robot you know and the fact it can move itself around has advantages as well so i mean a lot of companies using them for meeting spaces now especially in covid times i mean i'm sure i think both companies are booming now um because, you know, you don't need to catch a flight. You can just have a, a robot walking around. And so, yeah, we're quite big on especially fun, quirky technology and new technology. I mean, it goes hand in hand with a whole entrepreneur startup vibe. Um, it's inspiring. You know, we've had people start companies off the back of ideas they saw around Base 10. Like one one guy started a company because he, he saw how we were sorting all the mail and was like, there must be a better way. So started building like an IoT mailbox solution to contact people when they had mail. And so, I mean, this is what we want really is members kind of contributing and uh, it's an ideas pot essentially. So, mm. yeah. And, and you, you get like what kind of companies are coming out? You, you, there's some you think are a good bet now and like... How many are there? I don't even know. Yeah, we have, it depends how you measure. We have a few sort of hundred in terms of active members. There's over a thousand in our Slack channel. But I mean, upstairs we have 24 companies in, in rooms. Um, and then we have these hot desk spaces. So yeah, 24, probably a bit more like on sort of takeoff mode. Um, okay. yeah, and we've seen a few cases now where startups have started a few people, um, They've moved, they've gone up office size. So generally started with like a one person office room and then, or even a hot desk, uh, moved up to a few. And then we've got to say our biggest one upstairs is uh, 64 square meters. So it's maybe, uh, you could say sort of six, seven, eight sort of plus people. Depends how much you want to cram people in, uh, which startups do, by the way. It's like a you know, battery farm. Sometimes you go into one person room and there's like five people in there. But uh, um, and then eventually they leave. And that's kind of our goal for a, around about a year for them to fly the nest and, and get bigger. And many have done that now as well. And, around in Uppsala renting bigger space which is cool because I mean they're creating more jobs and yeah, growing that's so that's the goal really so yeah absolutely and it looks great for the uh, the, the city as well and that's yeah. why they invested in it yeah, yeah exactly yeah and that's also why by the way um, you know taking public sector money that's quite a big decision to make because you have to change the way the business I mean you then you're not just looking at okay will this startup pay the rent um, you know because there's many companies that op- offer sort of contours hotel office hotel type setups mm-hmm. um, and they're a little bit sort of glorified kind of landlords really whereas we're a bit more focused on who's the company and are they going to be successful um, so to do that there has to be someone has to pay that price and that's really a set and our view it should be the taxpayer because that's essentially where it's all going back into um so it's uh, it's not to say that's the only way to build co-working but that's what the path we went down so we're relatively picky on the private room companies for that reason yeah and and now you're right of course this is just one model and actually i you know in the work we do you know i've had companies come to me 
um, who are looking to set up an incubator within, you know, so because at larger companies, you know, innovation now is such a buzzword. Startups is a buzz thing as well. Mm. They're thinking, okay, well, how can we mitigate perhaps some of the potential, um, you know, companies that we're going to be competing with in the future? Um, let's let's get them in. Let's invest in in these ideas. Yeah. What what kind of advice would you give to like companies that are that want to do that? Like what what you know what works, yeah. what doesn't? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, yeah, many we, we see many companies do this more and more now, and sort of starts with IBM with their garage. Yeah. And it's sort of like it's a dangerous one to get right. I think some companies get it right, and some end up kind of building these dare I say slightly lame corporate versions of what sort of good co-working is yeah. and um they like to think internally because it looks fancy to have this innovation thing but no one will be seen dead there so i think it's it's actually getting the kind of culture and brand right that's quite important um depending on how stuffy a company you are to start with if you're a big industrial kind of old-fashioned company and suddenly you want to start a co-working hub you've got a lot of work to do there perhaps the branding so i think that's why often also you can compare this to cities i mean we've seen this all over the world where cities will go in and create co-working spaces even in Uppsala, that's happened it's never been that successful um i think because of the people running those things are generally sort of government types and tend to be quite bureaucratic and you know i've been to so many spaces and you, you get told off because of this so you go to a meeting room and it's very kind of rule driven and so that's where we think about that quite a lot at base 10 we try and like even literally there was a sign up for earlier and i sort of took it down and we, we basically kind of trying to avoid the sign culture thing as well like i mean we could geez i could put so many signs up around base 10 the things mm. people do in coking hubs um you know the kitchens especially mm. but we're very conscious not to become that hub where we're sort of telling people all the time because it's a creative space um yeah, right. if you're a corporate you tend to fall a bit more into the trap of doing everything sort of the super correct corporate way and um so i think i don't know what it is really it's a, it's a good question um but i suppose thinking about the brand and the, the community and uh, to be honest making it cool is quite an important value and it's a very soft fluffy value well, yeah it's um, hard in itself anyway it's hard it? to yeah. define it you know yeah. what makes something cool and uh, so maybe you survey people or you know whatever but i mean that's one thing people always laugh when i tell this to city people they're just like oh yeah but it's like no seriously it has to be cool like if it's not cool people aren't going to show up and if you want the next you know mark zuckerberg or you know steve jobs like where do you think they were hanging out when they were starting their things they were cool places you know so it's got and also shoreditch in london you know we're both from the uk so we know this kind mm. of infrastructure it was kind of cool cafes and hipster places and so i think like you kind of got to think like that as well that people ultimately start up entrepreneurs you know they want to be in fun creative places so trying not to dampen that too much with a lot of corporate bureaucracy is a good starting point um perhaps bringing in entrepreneurs actually that have been there and done it and to, to run a center like that i mean if you're looking at stockholm you know sup 46 you've got epicenter they're all had they run by all companies yeah so all okay. ab is run by entrepreneurs no, are they they were entrepreneurs themselves. Yeah, yeah, okay. I th yeah, I think so. At least sort of, yeah, partly. I mean, they're very entrepreneurial people running them. Um, so, yeah, you can really feel that in the centre and set up sort of structurally as AB. So it wasn't kind of like city initiatives or, mm. and there have been some of those too. No one's ever heard of them. So um, so there's your answer. I mean, I think it, it, even London did this with, um, uh, it was called, I think, uh, what was it called? Uh, city, was it Tech City? I think it was called. That you was know, in Shoreditch, wasn't it? The right. old street. Um 
that's it yeah this big spent a lot of money it was classic government you know basically it was kind of piggybacking on what was already working in Shoreditch all the cool hipster cafes became this silicon roundabout they called it Mm. and then and then you know essentially the government comes in and spends a whole load of money I was there at the time the feedback that I got from other people was it's way too expensive only the big companies go there because it's far too expensive so you can kind of like lose the original goal in some of this when you do it so um, yeah there's some some ideas it's it's a hard one to to Mm. get right but um i don't don't know if anyone's got the exact playbook yet i mean google have done this quite well with their google campuses across the world they had one in london yeah i've been there a few times that was quite i thought was good yeah Yeah. i think a lot of people were skeptical because it was google there's a lot of skepticism around well what's the agenda and Mm. i felt i was there a lot it felt like there was no real agenda it was just great service and uh, of course there's always an agenda really to get to know companies but it it was a soft uh you know push and that was so i think they had quite a good example of it um yeah. So it's uh, yeah. And in this in the space in in base ten, you've got quite a lot of tech here, in in terms of like the building tech, right? So CCTV, the access control system, room booking. That's what right, else am yeah. I missing? Obviously, all the heating, HVAC. But yeah, I mean, because exactly. in a way, you wear like. 10 different hats don't you you're like the facilities manager (laughs) the office manager the the brains behind it the whole thing but i mean what what really adds value for you to do your business like Mm. is there anything that really stands out you're like oh i can't i can't um get by without this I mean, definitely the the camera systems have been essential. I think that's quite high up there. Um, we learned that in the previous building. We had some cameras we installed um, and it was just so valuable. We just, we went quite, it was just primary thing was make sure we've got cameras and access for security but other reasons too i mean there's different sides to it the security's been invaluable the, the, the few times we've had to use the security footage for it can be simple things like someone's lost something and it's like well we can track back and see where was it there at this time and but um it also with like other sort of trespassing if we have a couple of issues in the past so when we, we don't use it often but when we need it it's really important mm. uh, but then also from a more practical point of view like on the door we've got ring uh, as amazon like system yeah, so you have two you basically two video systems right yeah like the more professional one and then the ring one yeah exactly did you do that you installed that yourself um i got someone to actually mount it because it was electrical stuff they had to actually put the cable in but it was essentially i bought it and it was essentially a quick easy job to fix yeah um yeah we have to why why the Um, that's a good question i think in hindsight i probably would only go with the cheaper more sort of homemade solution because they've become so good so frankly since we've been running base 10 you know the cameras are now 4k night vision you know so the actual quality of the products have gone so high um plus the service has got a lot better the apps got better so i mean it's it's just, I would say probably if I could do it again from scratch, I would have just all cloud-based, some kind of Amazon-esque system, like a ring or similar. Um, because, I mean, we've got the legacy systems now. And and first of all, the problem with storage, you've got to store those videos. Um, so we have a server, like we have to have actually rent a server for that. And uh, it's only three days worth of content, which is another problem. Um, so, you know, because it fills up the hard disk. Sure, and yeah. so there's all sorts. And also the usability is awful because they're all old legacy systems. So I do actually have an app. It took me forever to get this thing set up with a company doing it but you know unlike amazon where you just literally download the app and mm-hmm. it works um you know but yet you go through and i have to literally watch all there's no motion tracking in it and with amazon all that stuff's baked in so it's so easy to scroll through and uh so we've used that a lot i mean um 
just check in on stuff. And also, we use the Ring. Ring has added benefits like alerting members when people are at the front door. Right. So, do you integrate it with like Slack and stuff like that? Do you? Yeah, we have um, we have a custom iPad. We actually have a custom piece of software that got made for us by a company in Stockholm called Ventures. So they basically um, were building this solution. So we were like, hey, you could build it for us. So we were mm. kind of guinea pigs and worked pretty good. It's called Meet Me. And so basically, you check in and it sends you a Slack message and a, a, a text message or I think it's yeah, Slack text and email we can choose. So we have that as a kind of check-in. Um, but the Ring, uh, if you're a member, you have access to the app. So you can basically, um, if, if you're upstairs on the third floor, you can see someone came to reception and you can put your motion tracking on and you could get like a ping on your Apple Watch right now. Ping, it's like someone's at the door and you could look at the live view and actually even speak to them and say, hey, I'm just coming on my way down, make yourself a, at home. And so it's like, that's the idea behind that. And um, yeah, they're all just like home sort of made solutions really like that, that aren't really, I mean, I suppose it's the Ring Pro, but it's still, they're still very good consumer level. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, I think that's where things are shifting they're getting so good now and so cheap that it's sort of why not really uh and then you mentioned about the access as well the, the yeah. fact obviously you're you're a tenant in a larger building mm-hmm. so like you were saying one of the key things right you didn't want to have like three or four different cards right just to yeah. get into the building so yeah you have one access system for the outside and one to get in here so mm-hmm. like was that just a, a an annoyance or I mean how did you solve it? Yeah, that? it was it was quite it's always been we've had done this twice now with both landlords, the old test sort of pilot and this place and it's both been very complicated it's, it's a very simple thing actually but in practice it's very common because you have to go through so many different people and we've, it's often kind of a bit off the script when you say hey i want to program in all these numbers and of course any given card system may not be compatible with another card system you have like MyFair, and there's a whole bunch of different technologies powering that so so we had to think really carefully about what was the one on the front door because whatever it is it has to match the one on the inside doors otherwise we'll end up with two cards and so my main goal was just one card does everything and as a co-working hub you want just ideally kind of no cards that's the that's the utopia really to kind of have i know norwen in stockholm they're using kissy as a kind of mobile solution you can just hold your phone up and um you know you've got these nfc things now we can use mm. your biochip to open the door and so we went a little bit more old school but it's just one card so you know, essentially that was really key because it's just we we found the hard way managing keys just not possible in co-working it's or you need a full-time person for mm-hmm. it and um someone moves out and then you have to get the keys cut and it's very complicated so keyless is important um so yeah we went with a solution with a with a sort of beeper sort of i think it's rfid if i'm not mistaken on my fair solution on the front door it's an rco unit and then we have um uh we have on the upstairs like a, a pin number basically people put into their rooms to get in so just kind of planning that whole process to make sure it was smooth and and could be managed well when companies are coming and going a lot as well. So it's often kind of, you need to change the codes. And so, yeah, in an ideal world, I would have paid more and had a completely cloud-based solution. That would be my dream come true. I've lay awake at night dreaming of a cloud-based, you know, entry system one day, but it was, I mean, we got quotes. It was like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of crowns more than we were willing to pay. So we ended up compromising on cost, but it was quite good. And I think it ticked the boxes. Mm. So, yeah. And I mean, like, what about in the future, You even now? Like, have you got projects that you're working on? You're thinking, actually, we can improve this or, like, this will bring a better experience to, like, the tenants? And, yeah. I mean, again, like, are they, are they something that they're really asking you for, like, in terms of yeah. tech? Yeah. Oh, in terms of technology. Um, let's think. 
Yeah, probably like, I mean, meeting spaces are always good. We're quite lucky because we have enough spaces right now and due to COVID and everything, it's like, mm. it's been a bit less volume, so that's not an issue right now. But um, access to li these little pods are quite popular, um, like these kind of framery and these kind of solutions. Um, they're a little bit expensive, but, you know, I think it's worth it um, to have these little um, meeting spaces. Um, otherwise, tech-wise, I think people are generally happy. We're looking at doing a bit more programs now to looking how we support um, entrepreneurs coming in. So we'd like to actually have a batch of people come into base 10 and support them um, actually handhold them a bit more like traditionally we've been a bit kind of you come in and it's not really our job to support your actual business we, we mm -hmm. get partners to do that and mm -hmm. whereas we're thinking of doing a bit more of a hybrid where we have a batch of uh, people come through um yeah, and they, they that would like a managed service they they pay you a fee we're thinking of getting that funded. So we're hoping it will be free for them. Uh, so we're hoping that it probably be funded by philanthropists who kind of want to give mm. back. So that's one of the nice things about our project. It's very community driven. So mm. you opens the door a bit to people who have, you know, had their success and wants to give back to more entrepreneurs in the future. Mm. Um, so yeah, we're looking at getting a philanthropic, philanthropically uh, backed kind of, <laughs> that's a big word, uh, but uh, back to scholarship kind of idea called the 10 X program. That's going to take a bunch of entrepreneurs and then put them through for free and basically just like support them a lot more and so that's something we're, we're actively working on at the moment be a nice new revenue stream in some ways wouldn't it i always thought yeah. that would be the way that we work would have gone well they probably were going to go right um more right okay we've got you in like you're now the member now now what how can we upsell you yeah even with i mean you know they made some really interesting tech acquisitions like well, i don't know year and a half two three years ago and i always thought then they'd be like okay well you know, yeah, you got your basic membership, but now we can do, you know, if you rent um, a bigger office, then maybe we can do some people counting occupancy mm. um, service for you, or I don't know, food delivery or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. It's different incentives, really. I think the the philanthropists, where maybe there's an investment army. In many of these philanthropists also invest in startups. Mm -hmm. Typically, if you've made that level of wealth, where you can be a philanthropist, you probably are investing in companies as well. So there's a little bit of a you could say selfish in a way need there that sort of well, how what do I get back? Well, you get early access to deal flow so you know if you look historically at Uppsala if you were there early enough you could have caught Nicholas Zenstrom before he built Skype or mm. Nicholas, Nicholas Adelberth before he bought, uh, built with Sebastian Klarner or MySQL which came from here or you know on game or Vita or these like billion dollar mm. you know, empires now um, so kind of it's a little bit of a pitch there as well as if you kind of back entrepreneurs you've kind of got that early access sure. and but mostly it's kind of worst case you've supported someone in the local ecosystem and so yeah we we hope we can do those kind of models better as a hub because we are very sort of public sector funded and we do a lot that's actually good for the entrepreneur that's our primary goal is looking at is this good for the startups as opposed to will this make us more money per square meter um whereas some hubs are more driven that way because they're more tra traditional sort of office hotels so so that's that's a, an opportunity really i think for mm. us and what would you say like even to you know just your average office company right like maybe they're interested in just being more innovative creating a space that is more you know collaborative right what did i mean is there anything you think oh yeah definitely is three two things that you, know, you can do which mm -hmm. can really help i mean 
coffee machine locations probably yeah, primary number one. It's mad, it really, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's like so important. Yeah. It's like we, we've put a lot of thought into that. I mean, it was very particular about where that was and also how good the coffee is, frankly. Like having a machine, like we, we invested a bit, or at least we, we had a really great part of co- Coffee Center who partnered with us. So that was awesome. Um, but we were really big on having just awesome coffee, lots of options. We have like hot chocolate, espresso beans. It's pretty decent standard. And, um, you know, it's just it just doesn't fill you with creativity when you sort of go and sit down to do some work and get this horrible filter coffee from this like dust like coffee it's just you know it's those little touches that I think make a big difference um so you know in social areas perhaps like where do people kind of planning a bit the space like how do people bump into each other on a daily basis um what are those social kind of interactions looking like because that's when ideas form essentially often it is over the coffee machine or you bump mm-hmm. into someone you get an idea and so like, that's a good starting point. It's a kind of physical layout of the space and kind of planning like where do, where do things happen? Also the opposite is true. Like the room we're sitting in now is although we're talking right now, but it's like essentially a quiet working room. Um, so you need to have those spaces too, um, you know, to get work done. So, you know, it's quite typical in San Francisco. You've got these kind of developing dungeons of the coders and it's all quiet and no one can go there. And, and all the kind of front facing marketing is kind of these uh, social open areas. But if you put a programmer in an open space layer, out for you know a few days he's gonna he's gonna want to leave instantly i mean so it has to be a balance um mm. so i think that's quite a good starting point um yeah great i think that's really really interesting stuff and well i hope no i i know you got you're going to do really well here and it's um it's a great space and Thank thanks you. i think um yeah it's going to be an interesting few years i think for you yeah absolutely thanks a lot james for you're having welcome. us and yeah yeah good yeah. luck to you too as well thanks a lot see you later bye